Hi, my name is David, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're carrying on in our summer series on the amazing stories of Jesus. Now, in preparation in this series, I've been exploring uh, the stories of Jesus from the book of Mark. And two weeks ago, we touched on the fact that Mark chapter 4 to chapter 6 is a section that has a number of themes that keep showing up. And one of the themes is the amazement that people display when they encounter the power and the authority of this person, Jesus. We read that, the, that uh, Jesus rescued the disciples, his followers, from a storm that had threatened to overwhelm them. Right after that, Jesus exorcises a demon, actually lots of demons, from a man that no one seemed to be able to help. And by the time we get to our chapter, we discover Jesus doing even more amazing things. Uh, he heals a woman that no physician can cure. And he restores life to a little girl when all hope seemed to be gone. Now, in all this, as readers, we're faced with the question, the same question that people in the stories would have been asking, and the question is this, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? Now, we're going to come back to this, but I want, I want to just tell you right from the get-go that this is the most important question any person can explore. Who is this Jesus? So, in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to look at um, two people. We're going to meet two people. We meet a woman. We meet a man. And the man, uh, we know his name. His name is Jairus. And their respective stories tell us something really important about fear and faith and about hopelessness and trust. And before we get going, I want to just ask you, where in your life, where are you at right now? Where in your life are you feeling afraid? Where in your life are you experiencing a sense of hopelessness or even despair? I'll tell you, these are two feelings, fear and despair, fear and hopelessness that I experience, especially if I spend too much time on social media. I, my life feels fragmented. Uh, I feel unmoored, tossed around, and at times overwhelmed. Well, these two stories that we're going to be looking at are given to us as a gift from God. And they are invitations for you and me to move from fear to faith from hopelessness to trust. And so I want to invite you into the story. As we read the story, place yourself into the story. And if you dare, maybe even place yourself as one of the key characters of the story. So, with that in mind, let us turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. It reads, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but grew rather worse. <clears throat> she had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I could just touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately 
turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, Well, you see a big crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he's still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing them, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus, this is your amazing story. We pray that you would speak to us this day. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to respond to what you say to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the way these stories are laid out is a bit strange. Mark, if you'll notice, he essentially sandwiches two stories together. He does this a few times throughout the gospel. So today we're going to look at these two stories and we're going to ask three questions, three questions. First question is, what links these two stories together? Second question, what do these stories tell us about Jesus? And third question, what do we walk away with from these stories? So what links these two stories together? What do they tell us about Jesus? And what do we walk away with from these stories? So the first question, what links these two stories together? Well, the two main characters uh, who are interacting with Jesus, they form both ends of the social, economic, and religious spectrum. On one hand, you have a person whose name we're told, Jairus. He's a male, and he's a leader of the synagogue, no less. Uh, so he's a man of some distinction. To the point, again, that we're given his name, which is unusual in the book of Mark, to, to actually be given a person's name. He has the honor, uh, well, he has honor in the community. Uh, he can approach Jesus directly uh, with his request. Now, on the other hand, we find this woman. And this woman is nameless. Not only is she nameless, but she's an outcast of sorts. Her issue seems to be ongoing vaginal bleeding. Now, it's interesting, a lot of female commentators are very clear. Yes, it's, it's vaginal bleeding. Male commentators on this, on this passage are like, ah, they feel a little bit awkward. Oh, we're not quite sure what it is. But yeah, female commentators are pretty clear that this is the issue that she's, that she's struggling with. And one of the implications of this infirmity is, is that the constant bleeding made her ritually unclean. 
according to Leviticus 15. Her bleeding separates her and prevents her from entering into community or even friendship. And she's cut off um, from gathering with her people in worship. She can't even enter the synagogue that Jairus leads, let alone the temple. And so this woman is an outcast. She's alone and without honor in a very cruel world. Jairus seems to have a large household. He only has one daughter, but it seems he has a large household. And you get the sense that he's a man of means. This woman has nothing. No money. In fact, the money she did have, uh, she wasted on physicians who, who could not help her. In fact, we read that many of the treatments that uh, they prescribed, like many of the treatments in the ancient world, uh, actually did more harm than good. And so this woman has no household. Marriage is out of the question. And there's no hope of her ever having children. So, what do such different people share in common? Well, they share a common humanity. Both of them are desperate for help. Both have heard of Jesus. Both believe that somehow by getting close to Jesus, there may be healing. We see that in, in 523. Uh, Lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Or in the woman thing, if I could just touch his clothes in 528. So both of them believe that somehow connecting with Jesus will make a difference in their life. But here's the thing. Jairus' status, being rich, important, and religious, doesn't really give him any advantage. But this woman's status, being poor, impure, female, dishonored, did not give her a disadvantage. You see, in God's economy, your status doesn't really matter a whole lot. The only thing that matters is faith. And faith enables all, honored and dishonored, clean and impure, rich and poor, to have access to healing and salvation. And it reminds us uh, that the ground is completely level at the foot of the cross. And no one is disqualified from approaching Jesus to find help. And I want to lay that out to you because some of you might feel disqualified. You've done things or you've said things that you think have disqualified you. Nobody's disqualified. So these two people, they share a common humanity. What else links them together? Well, they're both willing to suffer shame or to lose face in order to find Jesus. For Jairus, he's part of an institution that actually was quite hostile to Jesus. And in, in, under normal circumstances, he probably would have kept his distance from Jesus. That is, until disaster struck and his daughter gets sick. And when he hears that Jesus is back from the other side, he swallows his pride, seeks out Jesus, and when he finds him, this is kind of unbecoming for a leader in the synagogue, he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Now you look at this woman. For her to touch a leader, to touch a leader, a rabbi, was risky business. Because it meant that she could potentially make him unclean and subject herself to further criticism and disconnect from the community. So she runs the risk of becoming further ostracized, but she still seeks out Jesus. And through the crowded street, she touches him and she's healed. And I, and I love, there's a bit of an eyewitness feel to this passage. I don't know if you notice this. The little detail, who touched me? And then Jesus saying, who touched me? And, the, and I love the disciples. What do you mean, who touched you? There's a big crowd all around you. It's kind of... You know, it's kind of like being in a rugby scrum and saying, who touched me? You know, of course something this is going to happen. And so, in these interwoven stories, we're introduced to two people who seem, on one hand, to be as different from each other as can possibly be. But, they're joined together by faith. 
Faith that an encounter with Jesus is worth more than anything the world has to offer or take away. And all the things that make us hesitate, maintaining status, avoiding shame, no longer mattered, no longer counted for anything. What mattered most is that they both recognized their desperate need of Jesus. So let me ask you this. Are you there yet? Where are you in the story? Are you still watching from the outside? Or have you dared to enter into the shoes of this woman or into Jairus' shoes? Okay, so what do these stories tell us now about Jesus? Well, in both cases, Jesus has the power to reverse the very things that separate us from God in purity and death. Now, the Jewish laws outline the fact that one who experienced the kind of impurity that the woman experienced could never be holy. She could never enter a synagogue or a temple of worship. She was always going to be on the outside looking in. But, notice this. See, the Bible is not the story about us trying really hard to clean up ourselves in order to move ourselves from the outside in, make ourselves presentable to God. The Bible's very clear, that's impossible. The story of the Bible is the story of God, and it's the story of God's holiness, but it's also the story of God's grace. It is the story of God the Father sending His Son Jesus to us in the mess of this world, into the mess of our lives, to bring us sinners from the outside into His presence. And throughout the Gospels, we read this, this grace shown in Jesus' words and deeds. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is willing to cross over, to reach out, to touch those who are on the outside of things. Do you ever feel st stuck on the outside? And here's the wonder of wonders. Jesus crosses over the divide and He touches those on the outside. But this connection with unclean doesn't make Him unclean. Instead, He changes us. His holiness makes us holy, set apart, forgiven, healed, restored, and welcomed. We see this, and Pastor Mark touched on this. Jesus touches a leper, and the leper is made clean. He ventures into the places of the dead, the tombs, and drives out the unclean, a legion of demons in this case, from a man. He is touched by one who is constantly hemorrhaging, and she is made clean and whole. He touches the dead body of a 12-year-old girl and she is brought to life. And over and over again, because of grace, Jesus overcomes impurity and death and makes us holy and alive. Okay, so what do these stories reveal about Jesus? Well, in Jesus' presence, storms subside. Demons are banished. Bodies are made whole. Death loses its hold. Okay, final question. What can we walk away from these stories? Well, we come back to this key question that we've looked at. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? And some of you are still lingering on the outside saying, I'm not still sure about this Jesus. I mean, I look at the church. I'm not really keen about the church. I had a bad experience at the church. I'm not keen about Christians. I'm not keen about Christianity. Well, I get that. I had a bad experience at a church when I was young. But here's the thing. We cannot ignore Jesus Christ. And He is the object of our faith. And if He is who He says He is, then every human being, every single one of us, has to pay attention to this. And when we realize who Jesus is, our lives begin to change. 
But here's the thing, the catalyst for change is how we respond to the question, who is this man? And what is the proper response to Jesus? Well, the proper response to Jesus is faith. Not just with our minds, but with our whole lives. And these stories that we're looking at have much to teach us about faith. Because in them we learn that one, faith opens the door to the transforming power of God. Faith gives power and strength to those who are hanging by a thread. Are you hanging by a thread? Think about it. Was it faith or was it Jesus' power that saved this woman? Well, it was Jesus' power. But Jesus also says to her, your faith has rescued you. Faith is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. Now, how much faith is required on our part? Well, here's the thing. It can be as thin as butter over too much toast. It can be as small as a mustard seed. Our faith can be brave, but it can also be soaked in fear and doubt. Yes, doubt. And this woman had faith, yes, but she also was afraid and she wanted to slip in and slip out unnoticed. And so when it comes to faith, what matters most is not how much, but it is where it is directed. See, faith needs an object. You can't just have faith, despite what George Michael taught. <laughs> it needs to be directed to Jesus. Now what saved the father's daughter and this woman was that their faith was directed towards Jesus. They knew that somehow, some way, he would make a difference. Second thing is, is faith is active. So I, I meet a lot of people who say to me, Oh, you know, I like Jesus. I, you know, I kind of think I'm a Christian. I like Jesus. But the reality is Jesus has very little effect on their life. See, faith needs to be seen. It is seen when, when people um, dig through the, a hole through the roof in order to bring their friend to Jesus. It's, it's, uh, faith, is, is, um, faith is active. It's not just about believing in Jesus, but it is, it is throwing yourself down before Him. Now notice this, both Jairus and the woman at this stage don't really have a clear, clear picture of who Jesus is. He hasn't died, and He hasn't been resurrected. But they know that there's authority to Him, that there's something special about Him. They know He has power and they put their faith to the test. So faith is active, but it doesn't have to have everything figured out. When I came to faith, in a hotel room in Shanghai, I didn't have doctrine of the Trinity figured out, but I knew that there's something special about Jesus, and my prayer was, Jesus, if you're the real thing, I'm in. And faith is also personal. There's no magic in Jesus' garments. The point is, is that this woman approached Jesus in trust. She touches Him. See, magic is impersonal. Abracadabra, something changes, right? But faith is deeply personal. Jesus encounters the woman. There's touch. There's face to face. And there are loving and tender words spoken. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See, faith is always personal. And I've said this before and I'll, I'll keep saying this. But God doesn't work in the abstract. God works in the details of our personal lives. And so when the world crowds in and threatens to smother us, there's still space for you and me to navigate our way through the crowd and encounter Jesus personally. And I think that's something we need to create space for every day. The other thing is faith is public. Both of them have to come to Jesus. Uh, and you see this in the story. You can't secretly hold to faith, but it requires public testing. The woman shared what she had experienced. 
to those gathered around her. Um, Jairus actually had to come to Jesus and throw himself down before him. And uh, sometimes I hear people say, you know, share the gospel always and if necessary use words. And I get what they're saying, but I don't agree. Um, you need to be able to proclaim your allegiance to Jesus. Otherwise, when you die, people might think, oh, well, what a great Buddhist you were. <laughs> there's, there's a social cost to showing our allegiance to Jesus. And so the question is, are you willing to pay the price for your public allegiance to Jesus? Now, I want to say one more thing here. Many people read this passage that we just looked at, and they struggle, and they struggle. And they ask this question, okay, well, why does Jesus raise this little girl to life? Why does she raise Lazarus to life? And, and, and not others. What about those who suffer injustice in the world and die unjust deaths? Why doesn't Jesus do something about this? Why didn't Jesus prevent the Holocaust? Why doesn't Jesus heal my... Why didn't he heal my brother? Why didn't he heal my, my, my daughter, my friend, right? And these are important questions. They're good questions. And I do think the Bible addresses them, but this, this passage has a different focus. You see, Jesus doesn't come, as one commentator put it, as an, a one-man emergency medical center. That's not what Jesus came. His actions here and throughout the gospel are signposts to a bigger story that is being told. You think about it. A signpost. You know, Maple Ridge, 20 kilometers away. It, 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 a signpost is not the destination, but it points us to the coming destination. And what is the destination? Well, the destination is the good news of God's kingdom that is broken into this world. The destination is that God is, that He is good, that He is love, that we live, we breathe, we have our being because of Him. And through sending His Son, Jesus Christ, God's kingdom of love, of forgiveness, and of justice has broken into this world and is continuing to break into this world. Now, is there sickness and death in this world? Yeah. Uh, I led a memorial yesterday for a fellow in our church who died during COVID. Uh, this woman in our story, though healed, still grew old and died, as did this little girl. And they may have experienced more sicknesses along the way, but here's the point. Because of Jesus, the power of God has broken into this world and the world will never be the same. We now know that there is an advocate who comes alongside us in our suffering, in our infirmities, in our shame, and in our dying. And we know because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus, sickness, sin, cancer, tragedy, and even death will not have the final word. The final word is always life. And that points us to one more characteristic of faith. Faith is persistent. Faith makes you work your way through the crowd, risk everything just to touch Jesus. Faith makes you, like Jairus, trust Jesus, even when everyone around you is laughing and mocking you for your faith, saying that you're crazy. And so, my brothers and sisters, in the meantime, and that's what we're in right now, we are in the meantime. What does faith look like? We are in the meantime between, between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming and the end of history. What does faith look like? Well, it needs to be a persistent faith. A tenacious faith that holds on even in the face of suffering, sickness, and death. It holds on by, by keeping the end in mind that, that history is not endless. Violence and injustice will not endure. God remains sovereign. 
And Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, is the Lord of all history. And He's conquered death through His own suffering and death on the cross and His glorious resurrection. And in the end, in the end, He will make all things right. All shall be well. All shall be healed. Do you believe this? Now, these are difficult times that we're living in. And it's easy to become unmoored and to feel afraid and to feel overwhelmed. Are you feeling that way? Well, today you, we have been invited to enter into the story. We have been invited to reach out to Jesus, to touch Him, to lay hold of who He is, what He has promised. And through this act of faith, your life will be transformed. And through this act of faith, as we reach out to Jesus, as we throw our lives before Him, and if we listen carefully, we will hear His voice. And His voice will say, My son, my daughter, arise and live. Jesus, thank You that You make the dead come alive, that in you there is complete healing. Thank you that even now your power is seen and experienced in the world. It has broken into this world. And yes, there's still sickness. Yes, there's still death. Yes, there's still tragedy. But we know that because of your life, death, and resurrection, that you are present in our sufferings. You understand our sufferings, and you're present with us. That you can turn our mourning into dancing. That you can turn our grief into joy. Because we know that no matter what comes our way, history will not just go on forever. It will come to an end. And that in our dying days, this enemy death will not have the final word, but the final word will be eternal life and being in your presence and hearing your voice say to us, Arise and live. Thank you for this, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks.